0: is a note that's played but goes unnoticed like so much of the work behind the music before it hits our eardrums. I'm Hannah Copeland. Join me for in-depth, honest, and unpredictable interviews of Kansas City's music makers, plus new music happenings to put on your radar. It's all on Ghost Notes via the Fountain City Frequency Network. (laughs) Jeff Harshbarger is a bassist, composer, and staple of the Kansas City music scene. He has DJ'd his own radio show, co founded an artist run record label, in addition to recording and performing bass all over the world. And he joins me today on Ghost Notes. Welcome, Jeff.
1: When did you start gigging? How old were you?
2: I think I was 10. I grew up uh, in a musical family, so I started playing gigs really young. And while some of my peers were doing other stuff, you know, normal teenager stuff, I was gone on the weekends. I was out gigging. Um, there'd be times that I'd pile in a suburban and play, drive all the way to Wichita and play a, uh, a Elks Lodge or a Lions Club or some really weird hmm. uh, gig for lots of very old people playing music from the <laughs> 20s and 30s. I I was the youngest guy in the band by about 50 years.
1: So you would go out, were you going out to Elks Lodges and staying out all night as early as that age?
2: No, I, I waited until I was 13 for that. Uh, my, my first gigs, uh, my father's a, a band teacher and a jazz saxophone player, so my earliest gigs were with him, but at times I get asked to go play with some other guys because Manhattan, Kansas didn't have the deepest talent pool for bass players and some people thought it was better to have someone that could hold a bass than not. I I think maybe they were regretting that after hearing me play when I was 10 years old. (laughs) But uh, some of my earliest gigging memories were very, very rough, showing up at a place that I had no business being at and playing music I didn't know anything about at all. But guys were like, yeah, we need a bass player. So, you know, our regular guy is a volunteer fireman. Like Mike Brown was the other dude in town that played bass. And So sometimes the call would come into the house and it's like, hey, the grain style is on fire again. Can you let Jeff out the house to come play the gig in Junction City? I'm like, okay, come get him. (laughs) And then they'd pick me up and I'd play jazz music I didn't know anything about. And then on the break, they would sit me on the bar and the bartender would put this giant pint of milk in front of me. And it was like this shield for everyone else in the bar, like, leave the kid alone. Don't look over here. Just don't bother him.
1: So your parents were okay with 45 <laughs> or 50 year old men picking you up and taking you out to bars and letting you drink milk and play bass
2: Yeah, yeah well I mean they they were in bands with my father too and my pop group you know supported himself through college playing music. so it's kind of a family tradition really they thought yeah no one's gonna no one's gonna mess with my kid you know they'd have to answer to me it was small town you know collaboration people know each other so. I didn't really realize until you know much later it's like oh yeah these are the kind of gigs that most people don't want to
1: do
2: <laughs> but you learn so much you learn a lot you know it was, it's kind of the musicians playground you have to go to the jam session you have to figure out how to get along you have to figure out what's expected of you musically
1: does and well let's just say does the bass match your personality
2: yeah yeah it does i think or maybe my personality has come to match the bass after doing it for so many years um i like the big chunk of wood i like how it feels under my hand i like uh and against my body i like how how you have to dance with it to play it right you have to be free with um, your body to to get the thing to speak, and uh, it's amazingly versatile. It, it's got one of the lo- big, widest ranges of sound of any instrument. Uh, it's we all know it's got these beautiful, warm, low notes and these and, and this power to to uh, you know be the foundation of everything to to uh, lead through being just like solid and not being flashy. Uh, I really enjoy that, it's a very supportive role. But it's also capable of being as virtuosic as any other instrument that's made and you can play crazy sounds on it. It it makes all this weird, um, you can make it sound like an angry rhinoceros, you can make it sound like flocks of birds, you can make it sound just absolutely gorgeous and and then the most awful, horrible, gut-wrenching sounds ever. And it's all there for you in, in a heartbeat. And I, I'm still endlessly fascinated by what the instrument can do. So I think that's another reason why I still play it. And I like, I like hiding behind a big chunk of wood. It feels good. <laughs> it just, why? It just it vibrates a certain way. It gets a certain resonance. It, it just feels really nice. Um, and also, uh, it, it was a way to explore music without having to be really demonstrative about what I was thinking or feeling. I felt like when I was singing when I was younger, uh, I sang for a few years and then I just quit. I didn't sing for like 12 years because uh, I felt like to get any better at it, I had to give more to strangers and, and than I was comfortable with. But hiding behind a chunk of wood, you can think about anything you want. You can feel any way you want. and No one really knows. So you can be creative and be expressive, but still be, uh, still keep it personal, and, and still be a little secretive if you want. You're like, all you can think, whatever you think. I know why I'm doing this, and I know why I'm playing this, and I'm just doing this for me now. And you know, years go by, and, and singing got more comfortable. Uh, uh, it got easier to do. So, yeah, the bass is a way to sort of hide and play in sight.
1: How did you become more comfortable with singing over those 12 years?
2: Um... I started a thing called the birthday game. Um, my birthday is in the middle of February. Uh, New Year's resolutions are worthless. Uh, um, and I like the idea of of growth and, and of self-reflection and thinking about, here's the thing I want to work on. But birthdays are a little more important, a little more tangible, you know, I'm, I'm back in this spot around the sun again and what have I done and what can I get done before I show up in this spot again next year. So I used New Year's as, to give me about six weeks to think of the new, there's a new birthday game every year. I set up a, sort of a logic game. Like if this happens, if I'm in this situation and this opportunity arises, I have to say yes. So the first time I had a birthday game, it was, all right, anytime I'm in a, playing anywhere and someone needs backup vocals or harmonies or just something really simple, I have to say yes. I have to offer to do it. And that was a way to start singing again, because I really missed it. I felt like I was good at it, and I hadn't done it in a really long time. So it was a way to game my brain into making me do it. And Then if I failed, well, it's just the birthday game's fault. It's not my fault. It's just, oh, I played the game, and I didn't play it well today. So next time, I'll be better. And every year, the game changes, and the game grows. And for many years, it was about singing and getting more comfortable with it. The game has evolved into other things now. But uh, it was super, super helpful. And so basically it's always some uh, something I'm... Uh, it's fear-driven. There's something that I'm afraid of that I don't want to be afraid of anymore. And there's something that generates anxiety or fear in my life. So I force myself to deal with it. Through the game? Yeah, through the birthday game.
1: Where did you come up with the game? Or how yep. did you come up with the game?
2: I, I think it was just that phenomenon of... Uh, Realizing that the New Year's resolutions were worthless to me, I never cared for them. But I did like that idea of of a cyclical progression of growth. All my extended family are farmers, um, and I I like the idea that that I know physicists will tell you that time is an illusion and that it's fluid, and and that it's just a of another manifestation that of reality that, that we've come to perceive that might it might not really be real or exist. But try telling that to a farmer who who says, well, you know, there are seasons, and then there there's this one week of the year that this bug shows up, and then there's this one time I have to do this. And it's consistent, and it doesn't change. Uh, and even though the world is changing, and even though the crops are changing, and even though genetics are changing. They still have this highly cyclical return to very specific things in their life. But there's always growth. So I really like that. you know. And yeah, I'm. we all get older every year. We all hopefully learn something in that time. Hopefully we're not stagnant. I think I had felt that I had been stagnant. I think that's, that was another thing that spurned along the idea of not just working for other people, not just playing whatever gig came along I'm not just saying yes all the time but being a little more directed i was on a cruise ship i had a cruise ship gig it sucked <laughs> i'll just say that it was oh, terrible
1: how long did you do that
2: i lasted four months
1: i've heard a lot well i don't think i've ever met a cruise ship musician that well i've never talked to one i'm sure i've met them sure that's <laughs> when, yeah. when was
0: that
2: uh i was uh when was it it was 2000 yeah i don't know exactly it was 2001 as i uh I, they flew me to, I said, no, the first time I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I had been living in Kansas city f, uh, for about nine months. And the guy said, Hey, I got your name from a friend of yours uh, at Eastman. He says, you're great. Come, our, our guy quit. Come on out. It's a great boat. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to play on a cruise ship. That sounds terrible. They call a month later. It's like, we fired the guy we got. He was terrible. Please come. I don't know who else to get which is a really bad sign if someone you don't know is calling you out of the blue and saying, please come halfway around the world to play with me because I don't know anyone else. That guy's probably really hard to get along with mm-hmm. if he's if he's reaching out that far. But, you know, things that you can learn. So I flew out September 5th uh, to London and got on the boat, and we were in the middle of the ocean going to Iceland when the towers fell. So it was an amazing time to be a... a, a the token American amongst a whole bunch of people from everywhere. I uh, learned a lot about the world and, and what other people think of us in it. Uh, it was really an amazing time to be gone. The job itself was not very fun. And uh, I saw these musicians that I've been playing with that had been on boats for some of them up to 30 years. And they were just they were just broken they were done they weren't interested in anything new uh, and they uh i remember the night i decided i couldn't ever do that again is when we pulled into port in new orleans and they gave the band the night off normally if you pull into port the uh, one of the bands has to stay on board and play in case there's a passenger that that doesn't want to get off but i think they knew if they didn't let jazz musicians off the boat in new orleans they would be a mutiny so they let us go and, and have a good time and on our way out I saw these two older fellas in the band they're just sort of staring off the boat and I was like man you guys want to go we're gonna, we're gonna reservations we're gonna go see a show you want to come hang out and they're just staring at the town they're like no but longingly like little caged birds like, like I wish I could go out there but I can't go out there and that's the moment I was like I'm never doing this again I'm not Playing for other people for the rest of my life, I've got to figure out something else to do. And I've got to get back to stuff that makes me feel good. So, yeah, I think there and the cruise ship thing and that learning and then the the, uh, the birthday game probably showed up shortly after that. <laughs>
1: Musicians try to build their careers off of stardom and getting celebrity-like recognition. What is it about yourself that you choose a life that is behind the scenes, behind a big chunk of wood, mm-hmm. unlike musicians that yearn for the spotlight?
2: Um, I, like, gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't really get too nervous uh playing in groups playing helping other people make their music better uh, but i still get nervous when, when my name's on a thing uh, and uh even though it could be stuff that i've played with our people a hundred times a thousand times uh, as a leader it's it's a different mindset I'm, I'm better at it now than i used to be that was a recent birthday game
1: being a band leader
2: yeah yeah uh, but I think, yeah, I, I, th- I think I'm really interested in, in, in helping other people sound really good. That feels really good as opposed to me being in front and, and telling other people what to do. That doesn't feel as good as, uh, as hearing someone else's idea and helping them make it as good as it can be. No, I have my music and I have my ideas and I like to have them out there but I'm also, if someone else you know gives a ring, Brad's like, hey, I have this crazy new piece I want to try to play, and it's really, really hard, and it's going to take, like, nine rehearsals, and we might get one performance of it, but we'll try to record it, and I have no idea if there's any money in it. My answer is yes, absolutely. Are you kidding? You're one of the greatest composers I know. I will drop everything (laughs) to have that opportunity. I look a lot towards... um, one of my favorite artists is Wayne Shorter. I, I think he's the, the heavyweight champion of, of music right now. He's someone doing something. Uh, he's had a huge, amazing, long career. He's making music in a way right now that I don't think has been made before. And in his band, he has three of the greatest living musicians playing for him. And They're all band leaders in their own right. They all have multiple, multiple recordings and many, many ensembles of their own. And all these awards and grants and fellowships and then someone like wayne shorter calls and you say yes you go and and the older we get um, the less opportunities like that show up you know that's been really on my mind a lot in my in my middle age realizing that i was so lucky as a young person to play with people that had 40 years of experience on me it was really a fast track to To learning how to listen and and those I still get to play with people that are considerably more experienced and considerably uh, more learned than I am and I'm very fortunate for that and right now that's still the that has become the priority over my own music because I know I have only have a very small amount of time left to where I will be around people that have played a lot longer than me so anytime someone like that calls I go
1: so you're saying you have less opportunities to experience new skills with older people who've been playing music longer just simply because of your age? Right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing professionally for 30 years. Um, so anytime so when I was first moved to Kansas City, I had the great fortune to play for Milt Abel, this legendary Kansas City bass player. And through health issues, he couldn't play the bass anymore, but he could still sing. So I was one of the guys that regularly got the call to be his bass player, which was an extraordinary honor. I mean, and he had played with everyone. He had done time with all the Kansas City Masters from the heyday of this town. And playing for him for those few years, I learned more than any college degree, any, anything that I had ever done. I learned about the history of our town. I learned how to swing. I learned uh, just how to touch the bass in the way that's appropriate for our city and, and our style of music that we make here. and It's the foundation of my tone and, and, and everything I do is the time that I spent with him. Uh, and then the other, another big master was a guy named Dennis Irwin. He played for the Thad Jones, Mel Lewis big band and the Vanguard big band forever. He was on over 500 recordings, John Schofield, ton of stuff. And every time I went to New York to play, I'd always spend time with him. Um, now my current teacher is a guy named Francois Rabat, who uh, is 85, and lives in Paris, and I get to see him once or twice a year, and he's I, he's amazing. He he's reinvented how he touch the instrument by himself, and he's faster than me, and he's stronger than me, and he's cleaner, and he has more friends, and makes better coffee. I mean, I mean he's he's the closest thing to Yoda like the you're ever going to meet on this earth. So yeah, anytime Francois is around and, and wants me around, I'm there. I have a very, very small opportunity in left in this world to be with that man. And, And I love him dearly. He's amazing.
1: Are you going to be a Francois Roboth one day?
2: Oh, no, that's not up to me. No, I have, I have, that's completely not in the cards. I don't think we decide what the world thinks of us. Um, and if you spend too much time thinking about that, you're not working on your art. You're, you're thinking about celebrity, and and that's that's no fun.
1: Yeah, c- that goes back to what we've been talking about: how you're not you're not you don't focus at all on celebrity recognition or putting your your name in front of whatever you're working on.
2: Nah, I mean, I've been I've been criticized for that a lot. Um, Why? Well. It, it's rare to get an opportunity like this to, um, to, to be on a podcast or to be interviewed as a, a side man, as a, a collaborator. Uh, usually only leaders or people that have their own ideas and vision get interviewed. So thank you. <laughs> it's great to be here. My pleasure. But um, I've just been focused on uh, – I've always just thought that good is good and that was that. And it sort of trumped everything else. It trumps where you're from. It trumps how you look. It trumps who you know. It's it doesn't matter. Like, good is good. The toughest fighter in the ring is the guy that wins. The The best musician is the guy that gets the job. I mean, that's not necessarily... I'm going to backtrack on that. It's not the best technical musician. It's the best musician. Being a musician is way more than how you play. It's It's how you play with others, it's how you get along it's what you can provide uh, and, and being someone that that is more most interested in just doing good work and just being good <laughs>
0: This episode of Ghost Notes was produced in collaboration with KCUR 89.3 as part of our Something to Watch video series. You can see performances from Jeff Harshbarger, Your Friend, Barrel Maker, Yes You Are, and The Buzz on KCUR's Facebook page. Ghost Notes is produced by Matt Hodapp with help from Jamie Searle. Matthew Sullivan runs our website at FountainCityFrequency.com. I'm Hannah Copeland. Find me on Twitter at Hannah E. Copeland. Thanks for listening. This is Ghost Notes.